it's Rebel Moon time. It's Rebel Dennis. Moon. We don't even need to ask what's in the queue because we're we're just gonna go ahead and say it. It's Rebel Moon. It's Rebel Moon is in the queue this week. What's in the queue? It's it's a Rebel Moon. Zack Snyder's new multimedia franchise. We're gonna be talking about it for years. Yeah. This uh, is our lives now. Well, and actually, I think so, just to make it even more clear, because this is going to be a huge part of our culture, our lives, <laughs> the awards circuit. Everything. We're talking about Rebel Moon, A Child of Fire. We're not talking about the, the immediate follow-up, The Scar Giver, or is, uh, is it The Scar Giver, or is it just Scar I don't know. A Child of Fire? I even don't like how it's named. There are no heroes, only rebels. It's Rebel Moon time. Um, yeah, December 22. December 22nd, our everyone's new favorite film dropped just in time for the holidays. I had cable on because it was the holidays and I was in a house with cable and they are advertising the living shit out of this movie. They're pumped. They want people to see lightsaber arm lady. <laughs> well, okay, so yeah, God, it's the difficulty of talking about this movie. And I mean, like now, obviously... I do want I do want to like inform you that you obviously doomed us to talking about the second one as I, well, if not I, I to like did. really I telegraph did. how we feel about this. the first one. Yeah, no. Um I, I bear a lot of responsibility for what's about to happen. <laughs> but I, I would say the only difficult thing I'm talking about is that like it's it's there's so many questions and there's so much going on and there's like there's so much stuff on the screen at all time and, and none of it explains anything. It just begs more questions that like yeah, we, we can barely get into it where like you've already mentioned one bit from I think like halfway into the, the movie over two right. thirds of which is character introductions that I have a lot to say about, but there's like, no, it's almost impenetrable. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe we can talk about what it is. So rebel moon is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. It's fascinating to hear that it's been big, uh, as, as a sort of piece that's been marketed hugely by netflix i think i haven't seen a lot of it having not watched kind of terrestrial cable uh recently which and also as a diversion it's the best experience for exactly 45 minutes right like when you get into a hotel when you when you go Mm. home to visit your folks like it's 45 minutes of of just cable television is fantastic it's so comforting and then like the third commercial break you're like i'm over this i don't I, i this is fine yeah, a, th- a two-hour movie. Everyone complains about how all movies are three hours now, and I'm like, you child. You you don't remember the era when every movie was three hours long, even though the actual film was 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's not great, and it's almost like streaming content is heading that exact same way. I'm looking at you, YouTube. A lot of ads. Anyway, yeah. Rebel Moon, part one, A Child of Fire. It's a, it's a space opera. Space Zack opera. Snyder did a space opera famously pitched as a uh, sort of Star Wars, his big crack at a, at, a, at a Star Wars, doing the little Kurosawa thing, trying to do a Seven Samurai, but in space. The Disney Corporation in their, I'm going to say wisdom, given the film we got, uh, said no bueno and passed on it. And Zack Snyder took it to Netflix and reskinned it, you could say, and yeah. made this. I'm seeing here that he's also pitched it to Warner Brothers. It seems like he's been kind of carrying this around for a little while, which and as much as we are, I guess we can like we don't we can dispense it. We're about to shit on this movie for as the, the rest of this episode. Mm, it's not good. Yeah, I don't think we like it. It's not good. It's not good movie. There, there's some positive things to say, certainly. And I think sure. one of them is that like 
I would say that it's pretty clear that Zack Snyder cares about this. And like, there's some movies that you watch where you come out a little disappointed or it's bad or it doesn't work for you. And you wonder to yourself, like, wow, so many people worked on this and yet it feels so ill-considered. I think it's actually really hard to say that about this movie. A lot of things about it feel really, really lovingly detailed and considered. They might not be yes. things that are consequential to like the story or the overall quality nope. of the film, but you can't say that this is something that was like kind of whipped together real quick and dirty for a for a quick thing for Zack Snyder to make. Like this is a, nope. he's trying to build a world here. Um, and I mean, I guess my one thought is like maybe Disney should have just let him do a Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I don't know why I have a sense that or a concern about preserving the integrity of a piece of intellectual property that's integrity was compromised a long, long time ago. Um, yeah, I think that that's a pretty worthwhile thing to do, though I think the conclusion of this was quite soulless. Like the, the end product I did not like. The sets looked great. Yeah. The costumes looked great. Mm-hmm. the music was going for a Star Wars and kind of with the exception of like an overused choral thing that Zack Snyder just really loves putting choirs underneath stuff. It was pretty well done. Um, a lot of love and care and attention went into that. There is money on the screen, though I think parts of how it looks are compromised by Zack Snyder's desire to operate the camera himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell a lot of love went into it. And the Zack Snyder philosophy of like, no middle sliders on the epic. Like the ep, just slam the, whatever the epic dial is, turn it up. And he obviously, we know what that means to him. We know it's slow motion. We know it's big choirs blasting. We know it's sort of like Baroque painting framings. He's doing all of that. And everyone who worked on, I don't think the, the, I don't think what they were making was good, but they made it to the best of their ability. And I see a lot of skill and craftsmanship in this film. Oh, yeah, this I is an, ex- take that away from it. This is an exceptionally well-made movie. It just, Again, none of none of the positives that we're talking about contribute whatsoever to like any level of engagement and no. and uh, you know entertainment even, which is tough because yeah. yeah, you can say it's it's made with care and yet some somehow that care is not transferred to the audience in the story. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. you can tell care went into it. So why didn't I? It's it's like, so why? layered. It's so deep. There's all these layers of like historical and biblical reference, and it, it just there's just so much going on, and none of it adds up. Um, another another key influence that I was kind of reading about that does make sense earlier when we were chatting about this. I think and I, maybe Warhammer people are gonna get mad about this. <laughs> I, I'm not a Warhammer person. I'm I'm aware of like the aesthetic and kind of some of the ideas behind it. It's sure. it felt a lot like from what I know of it Warhammer light, but it also is very. Um, apparently very inspired by heavy metal. And then again, it's like, but hmm. why, why like maybe Zack Snyder should have just made a heavy metal movie. That would have probably been pretty good. That would have, yeah, the that actually like, sounds that dope. Would have been awesome. And like, I know, I know you were kind of saying like, Oh, interesting take on, he should have made a star Wars. Like, was it going to be worse than what you got? Even if it's sure. something that you really like, I'm a little mixed on star Wars in general. I like it. I enjoy it. I don't take it that seriously, but like the last one was bad. Would would a Zack mm-hmm. Snyder version of that have that? been appreciably less watchable? I don't think so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I think heavy metal. I didn't know the heavy metal influence. The Warhammer thing. I mean, just in the verbiage, the Imperium. I don't know a ton about Warhammer, but the certain words jump out at you as stuff yes. you've heard from pop culture. Heavy metal would have been 
So my understanding of this concept was that it was his attempt at like an R-rated Star Wars, which is funny because the Netflix film we got is not in fact R-rated. You can see gestures toward it. There's certain scenes where it kind of cuts and you're like, oh, I think they were something violent was going to happen or something sexual was about to happen. Like you can you can imagine the inevitable director's cut. Whereas the like power ballad quality of heavy metal, that sense of like the grandeur is, is so grand, it's kind of silly. There's mm-hmm. drag it. Like this film has a griffin in it. It should have been a little bit campier and a little bit fun. And it was just so drab that a little bit of that heavy metal influence could have been really cool. Yes. Um, Warhammer is honestly probably a great intellectual property for Zack Snyder to take on because it is so austere and it's so heavy. There's just like weight to it. Um, he would probably actually crush that. Whereas this film, which is fundamentally a, a getting the gang back together, not back together, getting the gang together to take on this mother world, I think is the sort of big evil malevolent force that is over, like, you know, kind of controlling this world. There, there should have been a little bit of fun. I don't think I want full quippy marvelness from this world, but that fun and that sense of like, not campiness that was totally absent, like, yeah, that, that, that might have fixed it. It yeah. might have helped. Might have helped. I mean, and it's to your point. I think, I think. So we should talk a little bit about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker and what we think about him. I yeah. I think that the most fascinating part about this is this is something that he's pretty much wholly developed himself. Not even taken another IP and written everything and, and brought his brought yeah. his own look to it. I think what people struggle with is that he actually does a great job of bringing his own philosophy, his own vibe, his own sort of like worldview to things. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't always work with the source material. Yeah. However, here, when when it's wholly developed, this is like shockingly free of any personality. It, there's just not a lot of like sure. charisma and mojo going on in the characters. In There are some great set pieces, absolutely. There's some amazing sure. images. And like you said, it's all well-crafted, but it's like it doesn't it doesn't click together in the way that like, Again, this is, I don't know if this is a hot take, but people seem to disagree with me on this. I liked Man of Steel. I thought Man of Steel (laughs) was a pretty good movie. And like, I know that people don't like what he did with that character. They don't like the execution of it. That's fine. Like, I also am not a, I I don't really care about Superman very much. And I thought it was an interesting take. But that's a film that has like a a personality to it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas this is just lacking in any kind of, it doesn't have a lot to say about the ideas that should be behind some of these empires and, and these, these things that are happening within the the story of the universe. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Man of steel. I'm, I'm not quite as much of an apologist for it as you are, but I don't mind man of steel. I'll, I'll sit through man of steel. I'll put it on sometimes. Like, I think it is a, a movie that with the exception of the ending really understands. I think it understands the Superman character in a pretty good way. And it manages, which isn't the part I care about. It's the fact that it manages to like translate that concern about what Superman is into a filmmaking tone and an aesthetic that serves that understanding. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm sleepy, but I think man of steel works. I think Zack Snyder is a person who, even if he isn't making a film that I necessarily want to sit down and watch is clearly trying very, very hard it has a sensibility, which I appreciate. Not a lot of filmmakers have like a easy to recognize sensibility, and I appreciate that he does. There's too much of it in this movie. Yeah. Like it's hacky to criticize him for doing slow motion. I'm not criticizing him for doing slow motion. I'm criticizing him for going into slow motion 
from a scene that was already in slow motion. Like that to me feels like a good embodiment of what this film is doing. Like it's, it's turning the Zack Snyder up on Zack Snyder. And I'm not sure Zack Snyder can bear the weight of Zack Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you're right. He's a filmmaker with a sensibility and I like, I like the way that you said that he's trying hard. I, he's being very earnest to his sensibility. I don't know. He he's is. such an interesting guy to talk about. Cause again, it's like, it's not like his movies are just outwardly bad. This one is no. certainly, this one is just this one's not, not good. very good, but, but some of them are good, but, but some of them are, <laughs> and people just have a really hard time with them. And people have yeah. a really hard time with the fact that like for better or for worse, he is an influential filmmaker. I don't know if you saw the mm-hmm. quote that Christopher Nolan came out from Christopher Nolan or in an interview with Christopher Nolan a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago where he said something along the lines of like, I don't think that there's a sci-fi or, um, or, you know, superhero film coming out in the last like 10 years that doesn't have like Zack Snyder's stamp on it. And that's something mm-hmm. that got the internet going insane and like objectively probably a true statement. Whether that's again, whether you true. think that's bad or good, can go a lot of different ways. But like, it's yeah, yeah. He represents a like, specifically in the context of superhero films, which I think is important because he came he, he blew up on the scene from Three Hundred, which is a graphic novel film, and then he got into Watchmen, and that set sort of the stage for the transition into the like whole DC era of Zack Snyder, the Snyder era of, mm-hmm. of DC. Um, and in doing so, he sort of like claimed an end of a spectrum. And I think in the popular imagination on one end of the spectrum, it is quippy, irreverent Marvel to a fault. Like there's a bad version of that. And then over on the other side of the spectrum, there is everything is slow motion, looks like an oil painting, incredibly drab and dour and that's serious. These are gods clashing and humanity's caught in the middle and it's very epic and grand and heavy and dark and that spectrum for the last decade of comic book movies have just been pick pick your poison pick a spot somewhere on that spectrum find your personality um but you are being placed on that continuity and Zack Snyder for better or worse is responsible for a whole side of it yeah I think to to say one more positive thing for him i guess just to just to be nice i will say that i think what's interesting about him as a filmmaker is that he he just he has a lot of questions and Mm -hmm. they're not always good questions i would say at the end of man of steel that's an interesting question so i think it's a it's a fun one i think he answers it in an interesting way i think if he'd been allowed to make more Mm -hmm. of those movies which it's great that he wasn't but i think if he'd been allowed to make (laughs) more of those movies there's more exploration there of of how that end kind of like develops that character um, but I think as we see in, in Rebel Moons, like there's not, there's a lot of questions, there's not a lot of answers. No. And I, I don't get the sense that in part two, fucking Scar Giver or whatever, we're going to get a lot going on. <sighs> let's, let's get into this fucking thing. Let's man. get let's into do this. It. Okay. Let's get into this. Okay. So we're following the adventures of Korra. Uh, isn't that Imperium also soldier. another thing? Isn't that another, the, isn't the, the legends of, of Korra? Korra. Like, the legends of Korra, I believe is an avatar thing. God okay. damn this movie. Anyway, she's an ex-Empire Imperium. She's an ex-baddie who's living on a farm planet uh, when some stuff goes off. Uh, Spoiler, Theremin. I can't talk about this movie without tearing into the plot. So let's do it. And even though you're skipping over it, we spend like 30 minutes on this farm planet before we even find out that she used to have like 
yeah, like a, a tight fade and a cool uniform. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I did a spoiler before the spoiler theorem. That's okay. Mm. It doesn't, I mean, like fundamentally no one, the, the order yeah. of the plot doesn't even matter to the movie. So No, and if you've seen the trailer, you know she's got that tight fade. You know she, she's a space fash baddie from the trailer. Yeah. Uh, I feel fine about that. Anyway, she's living on this this farming moon called Velt, which I actually quite like the name. There's some good sci-fi naming in this. There, there's some bad sci-fi naming, but there's some quality like refinery planet whatever there's yeah, some good things yeah, in there yeah it's th- that was one that i liked as well velt good good ray bradbury that reference was good. i like that a lot yeah, yeah. and then there's some of the names are so fucking bad man it's just so good. like I'm, yeah nemesis i i was mad at that one darian <laughs> you fucking ki- darian why is that on the nose like what like yeah what okay anyways we're gonna get there when we get there let's just we're on velt we're gonna get there. we're on, we're, we're on they're velt. doing seed stuff they're, they're doing farming uh, and we meet this nice little kind of farming village that she's a part of. There's a good instinct, I think, in the first act of this film of taking the like Luke Skywalker living on the desert water farm thing and actually like unpacking it. I would yeah. honestly argue that the most interesting part of this movie is that first little chunk where we're on that planet. We're just kind of seeing like some humble farmers living under a big, terrible space empire. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't really mad at that. Um, the, the town was good. The cultural, pretty well done. Yeah. The town was good. The cultural makeup of the planet in terms of like what it's referencing is a little, Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on. There's like some North stuff. There's some other stuff. It's like a Viking planet almost. Yeah. Kind of like it did have a bit of a Viking planet vibe, but like overall it's pretty well lived in. It's nicely imagined. Yeah. Yeah. I, What's that guy's name? I think the character's name was Sindri in the film. And Corey he was Stoll. portrayed by Corey Stoll. I'm always happy when I see Corey Stoll. Yeah. That guy's great. He was good. And he's got a big Viking beard and he plays the like town patriarch. Uh, again, we're on the far side of the spoiler thurman who gets just got, um, which was sad because he was my favorite character and I was hoping he was going to be part of the crew. Yeah. Which would have been good because we've spent any time with him and had any semblance of a reason to give a shit about this guy. Yeah. But not in this movie. Um, and so the, we're, we're on this planet Velt, we're following this character Korra and this, you know, our bad guy, uh, an admirable of the Imperium, Atticus Noble, who I believe you, how did you, did you describe this actor when we were texting about this? I believe, I believe it was Dollar Store Nicholas Holt. It's bang. Yeah. Or Dollarama for our Canadian listeners. For our Canadian well. listeners. Um, yeah, and also like so. Yeah, as you're describing, we're on the planet, and they spend a little bit of time in this. We're doing the farming. There's there's a, like a town yeah. meeting and stuff. And one day, they're they're you know spilling seeds into the literally like casting seeds. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a farmer. They're they're planting stuff, and they see above <laughs> them uh, an imperial. Let's just call it like a ship that could probably destroy a star. They see one of those, right? Mm. Like that, presumably a large battleship <laughs> of some sort. It goes into the into the atmosphere. And and Korra goes running, right? What we've also skipped over is this movie also opens with just like a space vagina. Does it? Do you not remember the first shot of this movie? No. The first shot of this movie I've is just locked is just out like, two thirds of this film, is which just is like not a portal. convenient yeah. for this podcast. It's just a portal that looks conspicuously like a vagina in space <gasps> oh, opening. Oh, yeah, the, no, the destroyer, the, the, the ship that could conceivably destroy the, a star goes through, and you're like, this is where we're this is where we're starting. Okay, Zach. You had a, <laughs> right. you had a visual all right, Zach yeah. Zachary. Um, yeah. oh, the God. space Nazis show up on the farm planet, and the film 
stops being good. Um, Atticus <laughs> Noble. It does, though. Yes, it really does. Like, it really does. You're not, you're not really even does. exaggerating. It does. <laughs> it was like in the distance there was a cool movie, and then the, this film was like, nope. Um, the space Nazis show up, and they take over the town, and the like point of conflict is that they need more grain, which is this is like a nitpicky thing, and this is not why this film isn't good. But I was just kind of agitated by the idea that like that's the technical level of sophistication of this empire and the things they are capable of doing later in the film. And the idea that the primary conflict is just that they needed some barley from these farmers is like, I just don't, I don't, that that's silly. That's silly. You, you must have a way of making food. Yeah. Maybe for this the, vast empire. Maybe the grain goes into some sort of like very complex machines. We do. And here's the thing. Yeah. We do see a little bit of, the inside of the Imperium. Maybe we'll see more of that in in the follow-up, but it's not like their their capabilities are not really expanded upon until there's like there's nothing happens to show you what they're like or what they do, except in battle scenes where like a new type of ship that can do a new type of thing or a different type of soldier with a cooler type of gun shows up. Like it is totally it's kind totally. of got that vibe of video game progression where you are learning your your the boss battles just like level up a little bit and the capabilities of your enemies are just you're like okay well i guess they have like that thing now there's no real build up in terms of the world building of like this is how brutally powerful this imperium is they just show up with cooler stuff every now and then yeah we're we're meant to like it's clear that they're bad because they're wearing nazi uniforms yeah it's good they're bad because they look great they look amazing they look fantastic they look so good coats yeah Yeah. exactly their guns have Um, extremely ornate metal work they have really that was kind of hats yeah Yeah, i like the ornate metal work the sort of like victor i I don't know my like graphical eras and aesthetics but it looked like i'd like victorian almost like it had it was all like filigreed and flowery and i'm like that's actually kind of cool like that's so interesting and you see you Uh, see in, in those glimpses of flashbacks you do see uh where we meet the king, who's now the slain king, it's unclear who he yep. was slain by, but the king is the slain king, who played by Carrie Elves, Carrie Elways. How do we pronounce his yeah. name? We went over this no in the one Mission knows. Impossible episode. Science hasn't figured it out yet. Yeah, Carrie Elways. I'm going to say that. I'm yeah. sorry if I've gotten it wrong. Anyways, he's the king. Kind of miscast, kind of weirdly cast. I, I wasn't sure about that. Every time it cut to him, I was like, no. Yeah, every time it cuts to him, it looks like when there's two actors that look really close together and you think it's the more famous one, but it's the less famous one, except this time it's the more. It's just. It looks yep. weird. It looks bizarre. But when they cut to sort of those glimpses of the Imperium in, in recent memory, mm-hmm. it does look very, it's just everything's got like a very fash aesthetic to it. Very, it, It's got a Hunger Games look to it, but more mm-hmm. heavy metal, brutal Warhammer. Like it's all pulling from 6,000 different places and kind of ends up in the middle of all of them. Um, and what we do, the only, again, again, like the only sort of glimpse we get into the the ships and the equipment of of the Imperium is that it's dark uh, and they got weird stuff. We don't know what the weird stuff does. In Noble's like office, he has like a tentacle monster, I guess. I don't like, Yeah. we're jumping all around here, but just trying to explain like the vibe this is giving off is very challenging. You're right that it is. So I think the thing that Star Wars does so well is the fascist stuff is really nice. 
Like everything is exceptionally clean and well lit because that's what fascists like. They they want the, the little bits of what they perceive as dirt and grime all gone and they extend that value system to living conscious beings. That's the problem. To have like, no, we're impeccably dressed and we got those tight fades, but the inside of our ship is dirty and grimy because we're the bad guys. And also we don't have any fucking grain. And and we also, we're terribly hungry. It's like (laughs) Our resource management is poor. It's like, maybe don't have so many barbers on the spacecraft if you don't have enough food to feed yourselves. Maybe let that fade grow out. Um, anyway, they need barley and they have dark ships and they come to this planet to get grain and they occupy it and they kill Corey Stoll and the movie, as I said, stops being good. Um, the next important, so we meet during this, a X like sort of like combat robot type buddy as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, who's also narrating the film, a, a former combat robot named Jimmy. Yeah who is there kind of crack at a, he's not a C-3PO, but you know, the robot we're supposed to care about, but whoops, the film forgets that he's there and bails on him and we never this, see him again. This was honestly, this was the most annoying part of it for me. Cause I actually, I kind yeah. of like the idea of this robot who is, we are told by, uh, okay, sorry. So we gotta, we gotta even back up. So yeah, no, they're on the planet. Noble kills Corey Stoll with a stick. He's got a stick that he kills people with. He did like he, his move is that he comes to your planet and he talks to the leader and he has like a really, really intimidating conversation with them. And then he kills that guy with a stick. That's, a that's stick. what he does. He does it like th- th- at least twice. I might've missed a third one, but he does it at least twice. <laughs> it's like a cool image until you see it the second time. You're like, wait, why are you? You're just like, clubbing people to death? Yeah, you're just you're just hitting you're just, like, you're just hitting him with a stick. You're just hitting him with a stick in the head. It's gonna, very it's very violent and brutal. Star. Yeah, you can do anything. Um, That's not fashy. You, you want to you, you turn your back as as your men shoot people. Like, yes. Do, do some do some Nazi stuff if that's if that's what you're trying to evoke. He just hits him with a club. He just it and I mean so dumb. I guess I guess there is there's like the problem that we were talking about. That's like this this movie has a lot of ideas, but no ideas about those ideas. If you are referencing you know fascism and Nazism, especially as we know it. Uh, you know, this many years on, especially as so much has been written about it and, and the, like, occult portions of it and the sort of, like, really, really incredible relationship yes. that fascism and the occult and the the almost mystical and very um, process-based, they, like, all the weird shit fascists like to do. The, yes. the stick could be part of that. It could be implying that, but it's not. It's just, like, he hits people with it. That's it. He's got a weird robed person that carries it. It's so, like, you're meant to be, like, oh, mm-hmm. like, it's meant to transfer something that's not there. It's not in the text or the subtext. It's just meant to be, like, a stand-in for that type of thing. Um, we're gonna get so fucking heated as we get into this movie. This is gonna get, this is gonna be, like, us screaming as we get to the end of it. Because the stick, of course, is part yes. of the end set piece. Anyway. Yeah, because they bring the stick back at the end. That was when I was like, that was the moment it clicked that his his big bad weapon. Like, think of how iconic Darth Vader with the red lightsaber. And it's just, meanwhile, Atticus Noble and his stick. Yeah. He kills someone with a stick. They take over the village. Uh, we get to meet this little robot, Jimmy. And then I think the only other thing really important that happens while we're on the planet is is we get the terrible plot trope of the thing that pushes Korra to get invested in the fight and kill some space Nazis is they attempt to uh, like gang assault a, a member of this village uh, and 
she kills them and they say, okay, well, we just killed a bunch of these space Nazis. They're going to come. More of them are going to come and take over. So we have to do something that's sort of, this is the inciting incident and they decide they're going to embark and try and assemble a team to protect the farming village of Velt. Yeah. Is that a generally accurate summary of what happened in the first act of this film I watched on my phone on the airplane? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I did not watch it in theaters. I don't know if it's in theaters. I don't think it is. I think this is one Netflix was like, we're not going to buy the screen. I did watch <laughs> yeah, it on, on a decent-sized totally. screen at home on Netflix. Um, I, I you did. respected the text. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to I wanted to give it, you know, the, the attention you gave it, it deserved. You gave it a shot. Um, yep. Yeah, all you're skipping over there is just some plot mechanics. I mean, yeah, after the stick killing, Noble says, we'll be back in 10 weeks for our 10,000 bushels of grain. And he leaves behind, yes, yeah, some... Uh, look, Warhammer people are going to get mad. But yeah, Space Marines, whatever the fuck they are, like Imperium guys. Yeah, and Imperium. their only job, as you say, leading up to that, again, horrible trope of, of a gang assault kind of kicking things off or an attempted gang assault kicking things off. Their only job is to, like, be bad. They're just assholes. Yep. They're, like, they're, jo- they're just we're, pricks. We're getting, yeah, we're getting the... This is, I guess, where we learn something about the oppressive power of the Imperium that we're told is is all-reaching, and it's just that they're assholes. And it's not surprising, but it's like we spend a lot of time learning about what assholes these guys are. Like, there's a lot of this. It yep. goes on for some time. Yeah, which is, I think, a good thing to bring up. In a film that was more economical in other areas and therefore preserved that time in the context of the story for making us care about the second act the really important act that's about to follow. I wouldn't care that we spent time learning that the bad guys are bad guys because that can be interesting because the ways that villains are villainous tells you a lot more about the world than the ways that heroes are heroic. I think that could have been valuable and useful storytelling time in a better movie. But alas, Korra kills them uh, and they embark to go sort of try and assemble a team to protect this village from the coming assault from the Imperium. Yeah, and by they, we specifically are referring to Sophia Butella's Cora and uh, Michelle, Michael? Oh, Michael? you got this. Yeah. I'm going to say Michael Hoosman. Yeah. Yeah. Hoosman? Yeah, as Gunner. Yeah. Uh, and Gun- Gunner's another farmer from the village who just kind of, again, we're skipping, we're skipping over so much, but he he's kind of like part weird. of the, he fucks everything up for Corey Stoll as he gets uh, head sticked. So he feels some <laughs> some responsibility to go on this mission, despite the fact that he's a, a humble farmer who oversees the harvest. Yeah, in a film full of half-baked characters, I'm not saying anything about this actor. I I, I remember him being in Haunting of Hale House, and he, mm-hmm. was, he was perfectly good in that. Oh, he's great, yeah. But it... Yeah, he's solid. Uh, not his fault. In a film full of half-baked characters, a character that needed to be fully baked, a character who was our sort of connective tissue back to this community, given that we learned that Cora's not originally from it, a character who could be fascinating in the guilt that he carries for getting Corey Stoll's character killed and inviting this, um, all of this terrible stuff to the the people of Velt. Would have been great to have cared about him. Would have been great to have understood why he was there with us for the rest of it. Um, and particularly frustrating as people start referring to him as sort of like the farmer, this sort of character that uh, you can tell when when songs and myths are written about what's happening, he will be central to it. And he's not central to the plot. No, other like, characters are... Corey Storr killed. Yeah, other characters are also constantly... And again, this doesn't help anything. Other characters are constantly like, why are you here? And he doesn't really have an answer. <laughs> no. I guess we're meant to infer or understand that he's in love with Cora, but that doesn't like that doesn't figure into the like it's supposed to be there in the background but it's never there's no even in like the reaction shots and the editing there's no real again the the central problem we keep picking up on is 
the movie is telling you what you're supposed to think about these characters and their interactions, but it's not in the text. It's not visually there. It's not there in like, for a movie that does a lot of like, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to show you. And we'll get into that in the second act because it is especially (laughs) glaring in the second act that like, we could have gone with one of the two. You could have told us or shown us, but you went with both just to make sure it was very obvious for a movie that tries to drive home so many things. This is left so insanely absent and then commented on within yes. the meta text of the movie itself. Like it's, it's maddening. It's, it drives you crazy. I'm going to say something insane to, to sort mm. of bolster your point about how in a better version of this or another version of this, we would have spent a little more time on X, Y, or Z. So Zack Snyder is making this for Netflix. We know that there will be a second movie, which means that there was clearly just too much uh, story here. And I, I don't think that's not a value judgment. That is just a fact. There's too much story here to be handled in just one movie. Correct. Why wasn't like, not that I necessarily want more of this, but <laughs> like there's no theatrical release. It is on Netflix. Yeah. Why was this not like an eight part mini series where like the whole first episode is on Velt or whatever, or like the whole second sure. episode is in the Imperium. Sure. And if, cause Again, like he's got at the very least a sketch of a lot of different ideas and a lot of different things and a lot of cool images, and none of them have any room 100%. or time or to give scope to to what's imagined here. Like, what? Who insisted on this being two movies? Who, was it was it him? Was it Netflix? I don't. I just don't get why, because it's both too rushed and also completely thin. Yeah. It's bizarre. I it's think a you, very bizarre. I think thing. you've. I think you've cracked it in a sense that this is too much story for a good movie and not enough story for a good TV show. And as such, they've made the ultimate compromise of making two movies, neither of which feel like they need to. I, I haven't seen, obviously no one's seen the second one, but boy, does the first part feel like it doesn't need to exist. It is stuck in this bizarre limbo of having so many ideas crammed into the first part of a two-part movie thing but seemingly not enough to justify an entire TV show. As we're about to discover, we move into the second act, which is A Bug's Life (laughs) or Seven Samurai. Uh, It's the classic. The other thing I was going to say to that quickly before we move on is when you imagine how this would function as a TV show, you realize the reason they didn't make the TV show is because they would just be making The Mandalorian, which is a much better TV show, which is the story of a spaceman having to assemble a team across the galaxy with each individual episode going off and meeting a new character. We become invested in their plight. The Mandalorian shows up, recruits them to his cause, and we move on. That's how you want to tell this story. Instead, what we get is a series of slapdash vignettes where we meet a character, we realize they're good at fighting because we watch them do punches good, they get convinced to come fight with Korra and we move on to the next one. And the film has the gall of suggesting camaraderie at the end of this process, despite the fact that we've spent no time with these characters as individuals, nor have we spent any time with them as a collective. But anyway, yeah, it should, it Korra should, and yeah. Gunner Sorry, just before we move on. It should, be said, it should be said that the reason we actually wanted to talk about this movie is because we felt that the first, like, few episodes of this podcast that we recorded were movies that we both were like very positive about and we wanted yeah, to introduce they're, they're a, little pretty good of, like, a little bit a little bit of uh diversification i don't think either was expected to be like this this passionately against everything that's going on here like this was we really oscillated from like because i mean yeah we didn't talk about how like the creator was a very flawed movie but mm. we both liked it we were very positive on it this exactly. this makes the creator look like an absolute masterpiece like this makes Gareth I, Edwards look like a, like a true genius. 
hundred percent. I was thinking about the uh, the creators. I was watching this. I was thinking about how I didn't watch this in a good context, mm-hmm. and I was trying to like I was trying to figure out like do I. I watched this on an airplane. Like I, I did not give it a good try, and a person who loves this film could rightfully criticize me for that. Um, and and I and I get it, but I'm also I don't, and I disagree, and I think it's not a very good movie. I don't think the fact that I watched this on my phone is why it is not a good story. I've watched some great movies on my phone. Oh yeah, I'm able to appreciate when a story is well told on a teeny tiny screen. The screen size is not what was wrong with this story. No. It's also a lot harder to imagine like a dedicated, earnest fan of this movie than it is to find someone who like really loved, uh, you know, even even more than I enjoyed like Man of Steel or 300 or any of any of Zack Snyder's other movies. I cannot imagine coming across someone who's like, no, I really loved Rebel Moon. I thought it was great. My favorite character was uh, General Titus. Like there's that person doesn't exist. What is there to like about General Titus? What do we learn about General Titus? Oh my god. Okay. So speaking of General Titus, we should, we should yeah, get into this. this uh, yeah. This, they want to go find General Titus. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, their their next major beat on this thing is to find this. Uh, he's like a sh- shamed, not shamed, an ex Imperium general. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's a defector. We're, we're really told defector. is, uh, we're not a defector. What we're told is that at, at a certain battle that keeps being referenced that I do not remember the name of and, and has no. no no influence on the story whatsoever. He turned his own forces against the Imperium and as such was was banished. I don't know. That sure. seems like a court-martial type thing. But anyway, somehow he got out from that. And, and yeah. Part of what makes this movie hard to talk about is there's so many little details like that to dig into and to to discuss but they never come up again they never lead anywhere like one thing that i wanted to talk about but i'm gonna do it now but like Mm -hmm. just doesn't go anywhere is we hear a lot about how the anthony hopkins robot the jimmy they uh they used to be fighting robots but after the king was slain they they no longer fight they can't attack they don't they don't do anything anymore they're just like these task robots uh this is subverted when in that uh, aforementioned attempted assault scene, Jimmy the robot actually kind of saves the day. He he shoots mm-hmm. the, the key lieutenant or whatever. But none of this, like, no. No, somehow even such a direct setup in this movie doesn't pay off because there's, like, no. It's, there's, it's just you're supposed to be like, oh, okay, that means that, like, the the robot can tell right from wrong. But there's no, like, there's no actual, it's the, the movie shows and tells you something that you have no reason to believe is connected to what it's showing and telling you it keeps doing this it's insane like a a very bad habit through the entire movie yeah Yeah. there's a much more interesting movie that digs into that idea of like what if you had the tension between an artificial intelligence and a monarchy and what does it mean when a bloodline dies and how does a piece of software that's been told to honor that like there's an interesting thing there and how do you write the laws of robotics for a like bloodline based empire like there's there's an interesting thing there in a better movie yeah so they're they're trying to find titus to get to titus i want to speed run this part even though it's the part of the movie that should matter it's like to get to titus they have to they they meet up with a smuggler named Kai as played by um Charlie Hunnam doing the most like crack my skull open weird accent I've ever heard in a movie. I I I think Charlie Hunnam can be good in movies. 
I do not know what was going on in this one. He, was he Irish? Like I, I'm not he kinda, sure he what that was supposed like to be. Space Irish. Um, space Irish. I think this yeah. would have been more successful if he just did his Jax Teller performance, which I think this is like supposed to kind of like. I think that's kind of probably what Zack Snyder sees in this. But sure. yeah, like he's making some choices. He is one of the few people performing this movie who is making choices. Unfortunately, he's he making is. bad he ones. Is. But yeah, but but it. I do appreciate it because yeah. you remember him at the end of it. He he's important to the plot. Yeah, um, he the, has the closest thing to an interesting plot point in the entire film. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to to this section because we do want to speed around it is it's the <laughs> second consecutive fight sequence that is precipitated by sexual assault. Oh, yeah, because like the, the dog man, the dog man in the bar. So but to find General right. Titus, they literally go into a bar. And after a brief fight, Cora announces, I'm looking for General Titus, which Cla- seems classic finding person. move. 100 yeah. percent. What else do yeah, you do? We've all done it. Super chill. She's also at this point made us aware that there would be bounty hunters looking for her. And she just like announces herself. This like the movie also wants to speed run this bit. But then uh, yeah. like, I guess someone that can be charitably described as a dog man comes up and, and offers to buy Gunner from her. And like mm-hmm. you know, t- grabs him more than so- yeah. It's just like two two action sequences in a row are are basically uh, because of sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, but but how else would you know that a character is bad? Yeah, that's true. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's a- true. answer me that. How yeah. else could a film telegraph that to the audience? Yeah, there's there's, there's a just big, no way. It's a big shootout. At which point we meet Kai the smuggler. Yeah. Yeah, he knows some people. Like, she also is telling everybody that they meet what they're doing. Like for someone who has just a few scenes ago as they're riding to the town of Providence where this happens, told us she's like, "Yeah, sorry, you know, I'm very secretive, keep to myself. I'm actually a fugitive from the Imperium. I used to be hot shit in there." Yeah. Uh and you know, some stuff happened. I had to run off and I've been hiding. She immediately starts telling basically everyone who she is and what she's doing. Like it's yeah, very the signals intelligence is, yeah. is subpar. She is not keeping this thing locked down. Yeah, she was not in like yeah. the MI six of the Imperium, certainly. No. More of a Navy SEAL yeah, totally. type. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Not in the intelligence community. No, no. Yeah, it was and this is where the movie, like, the pacing just gets absolutely busted because we we understand she's trying to get to this general. She's met the smuggler's gonna help her. And the smuggler just like lays out the plot of the film and says, but what if I introduced you to some other friends as well? Yes. Other rebels for the moon. And then they go off and they meet Nemesis and Tarek. Tarek is, is a, is a beast friend, man. He, he's a guy who oversees beasts, but he's kind of a slave. We under, we come to understand it. Does he oversee the beasts and, or is he doing blacksmith stuff? Cause when we first meet him, he's doing blacksmith stuff. Oh, he wasn't meant to be like, t- he's not, I think he's like an all, I think he's like an all-purpose slave. Like I think he's sort of okay. like a, and sorry, th- this next Jack little bit. Slaves. Yeah, yeah, he's a general slave. He just does stuff. General We're informed that he has twelve seasons or so, or a couple of dozen seasons left to pay off his debt. How long yeah. a season is left unclear. completely unclear by this movie. And no. people reference like a lot of things. Like Kai later references, oh, I only have like you know, five or 10 seasons left before I rob the wrong person. Like seasons are referenced constantly and we do not, we have no, is it a year? Is it a year season? Like what, how long is a season? It's not, it's never elucidated. There's never even like a calendar that's got a season on it. You know, it's not, it just, you're supposed to understand it and you kind of intrinsically do. But then as soon as you question it for even a moment, like five other questions pop up that the movie has not thought about. Nope. What I would describe this next part as is, scenes from other movies 
So this part mm. where we meet Tarek is uh, is a scene from Avatar. <laughs> right? It's the beige it's the avatar. Beige it's avatar. totally beige yeah, avatar. It's like Western avatar. Then meeting Nemesis, which I actually is a scene that I like, is also seen from Lord of the Rings. We've got a spider person, or a, this, mm. in this case, a spider person in a mine, which I guess is where all giant spiders have to live. They have to live in a mine. Um, yeah, it's, spiders famously live in mines. Yeah, the general the general Titus scene is from Gladiator, and they kind of the the general <laughs> Titus thing pissed me off the most because like that that is the worst version this movie has of I'm gonna tell you something. I'm going to very clearly, directly tell you something, Mm -hmm. and then I'm also going to go to the trouble of showing it to you. So they talk about how, like, General Titus is now, um, you know, in the Coliseum. He's fighting in the Coliseum at Pollux, at which point you're like, oh, he's, like, all washed up. Yeah, he's all washed out and fucked up. He's he's, going to be in bad shape. We're going to see him. He's going to be really down for the count. And it, like, almost immediately cuts to, like, yeah, he's all fucked up. And you're like, we could there's just we could have you could have told us less and it could have been a fun cut into him being fucked up or you could have told us too much and then we could have subverted like but it just does like, it just doesn't i'm gonna here's yeah. it goes like and coming up in the next scene is this thing and then it cuts to that thing it's just too it's so insanely direct there's it's not having fun with like what should be the most fun part of the movie which is meeting our like band of misfit you know warriors who are also incredibly powerful but by some circumstance have found themselves down and out like it doesn't it's got nothing to do with what's interesting theoretically about any of these characters yeah it's not fun at the exact moment it should have been yeah or however you put it that is bang on this is the part of the movie where it should have gotten fun yes and it we're bandying about the galaxy trying to assemble a crackjack team of you know, dangerous ne'er do wells to take on the space empire. That should have been cool. Yeah. And there's no pre existing IP to have to like cater to. You can do anything you want. And they had fun ideas. They they yeah. had an interesting cast of characters. Um and we just get to spend zero time with any of them and have no reason to care. Um yeah, so Tarek I just want to dwell on Tarek for a second because I think I talked about before we started recording. Maybe not. Tarek had a moment in it where he's he's he has to catch a griffin to get his freedom. I think it was a griffin. Mm-hmm. And it be, we get a little 300 type vignette of a guy in like a loincloth chasing after a beast in like a weird sepia tone green screen world. And yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, Zack Snyder made this. Cool. Not even being facetious. It worked visually. Yeah. But... We get the moment that felt symptomatic of the whole thing, which was Tarek was running in slow motion to like jump onto the Griffin's back. He's running in slow motion. And then the film thought, this is so badass what we're doing. Slower motion. Like yes. he leapt, he was already running in slow mo, and then he jumps and it slower motions just for a second. And I, I got, I did that thing where you're look, looking at your phone and you kind of put it down for a second because you're, uh, you're frustrated. I was like, no. It was already as epic as it was going to be with the choir blasting and him running in slow motion, backlit by the sun, jumping on a griffin. And you had to turn it down more. Zachary. Just look. Just look at how cool this thing I'm doing is. Just look at it. I was already looking. Yeah, I, was I was already, I was already there. And, and it was already slowed. And it was already good. It was already, yeah, it was working. Anyway, they get Tarek, and the Griffin eats. I guess it wasn't a dog. It, the, the new dog man evil character. Yeah, 
you can tell how evil someone is in this movie by how hot they are. If like the the more ugly and weird dog charactery they are, the demeanor they are, and the more like bodybuilder Shimon Hounsu, like the the better like the more fit and ripped they are, the better uh, the nicer yes. person they are. Yes. Well, the only outlier to that is that like if they're like a, a really weird but not lumpy looking alien, they're probably good. Like yeah, King Levitica, he's like kind of like a cephalopod oh, yeah. guy because yeah, he's no, weird. True. He's that's weird, true. but he's not ugly. No, you're right. No, you know? you're right. There, there's exceptions. To that. Only and the guy that bad people are lumpy. Holt. Bad people yeah. are lumpy in this movie. <laughs> lumpy, very lumpy. Because yeah. you, you kind of also have like there's bounty hunters that are like orcs. Fucking orcs. Yeah. The the bounty hunters that were orcs, I got kind of excited by that. I was like, oh, there's orcs in this movie, right? Warhammer. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Maybe the orcs will be nice. Maybe it will turn out that we'll meet an orc and the orcs will be cool. It would be so sick Any, if in one movie anyway. orcs are just like the peacekeepers of the galaxy. They're like, we've got a bad rap. They're like, very, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. If orcs were like the chillest, if they were like Vulcan types. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I, I, I like a movie. I, I like the idea of a, a movie that casts the orcs as good guys. That's a germ of an idea. <sighs> because this isn't a video anyway. podcast. You can't see us both like rubbing our temples as we try <laughs> to discuss this fucking movie that we're almost halfway through talking about. And it's, it's just so, it just goes on for so long. It just goes on and on and on. on. I will say the nemesis spider fight. Um, you with, like that? With, I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool, and I thought it was the Some only introduction that kind of bothered to do what these sequences, when you think about them from like mm-hmm. a storytelling and practical perspective. And again, the fact that like you have time during this movie to think about how the pieces don't fit sure. together is indicative of how like not Much particularly engaging it. it is. But this was the only one that like did what these scenes are supposed to do, which is like gave us a little bit of backstory on the character that made them kind of interesting and a little bit sympathetic, showed off their abilities and just kind of set up like, well, this is, this person's going to serve a role on this team for, for this final fight. Um, the, the, the boss in that fight is played by Jenna Malone, which I think is really funny. And as far as I can tell, maybe I'm glossing over this, but it's just a big spider that likes to hoard children in a mine. Is that like, yeah, I think they were trying to do a thing with like so Nemesis, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. I think she was like a like a mother who lost I think there's a thing of like she was a mother and the mother spider was a mother and the mother spider the spider mother lost her spider babies and now she's stealing other mothers babies because she's mean yeah. now because of what happened to her spider baby. Yeah. And it was they're trying to do like a motherhood thing with that. And that's 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 fine. Uh, Nemesis, I would say, in terms of, I didn't like her hat, but <laughs> in terms of character design, a really cool germ of an idea. Yeah, I think if you're trying to make a, a Star Wars but not Star Wars, and you come up with the idea of what if the lightsabers were just blazingly hot pieces of molten metal, and in order to do have them, you needed to have metal hands. Yeah. What if that's, every lightsaber was the dark good. saber? Yeah, totally. That's a sick idea. Yeah. There's something fun there. She's got robot hands to hold her super hot swords that look like lightsabers when they, they're booted up because the metal gets red hot. Mm-hmm. Honestly, pretty dope. There's a reason they led with it as the big image in the trailer because it's a sick visual. She kills a spider with it. The scene itself is fine. Like it, it was okay. Yeah. Um, she, but she kills the spider and then for reasons she joins the crew too. 
they, they all kind of join because they're like, I don't have anything else going on. Like Tarek kind really, of, they've, they've like totally. freed him. So I guess he's, he has a good reason to join. Yeah. yeah. And he's also a prince. So I mean, like you imagine within the logic of this, like he's like, well, th- this is like some prince stuff to do. It's very princely behavior to like go on a campaign. It's very princely. But everybody else is kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. busy right now. So sure. nothing else going on. Yeah. I killed I the spider. Yeah. This sounds like a, this sounds like a suicide mission. I'm in. Great. Yep. So they got they got Titus because Cora makes some argument about like how he should be cool and he's not being cool. <laughs> I, I yeah, know. the general Titus I knew is a badass. You, I don't know about this, man. <laughs> they, they get uh, Nemesis for unclear reasons. Uh, it should also one one thing we're missing is. <sighs> God, I feel like you keep saying this one thing because it's there's so much shit going on. The yeah. reason they're going to get all these people and gather them is that they ultimately want to find, uh, I guess, terrorists, freedom fighters of some sort, also more anti-imperial Rebels. forces. Rebels uh, named uh, the Blood Axes. They're like a brother and sister duo. It's Darva and Darian Blood Axe. Um, and of course, they split up. So, you know, like the other one's coming back in the end of the movie. But the they, movie. they are trying to essentially raise a rebel army through the blood axes who they have to, they got to contact them somehow. And they're also trying to get a team. It doesn't, it's just, it just doesn't, it's just, it's not interesting and it doesn't matter. Everything like happens that, for reasons, as you said, like truly just for reasons. Cause it needs to, to get us to the next fight sequence. Yeah. Like it, uh, cool visuals. Like the Jimin Hounsou is like a ex war, like space, general who's now a gladiator type with the big bushy beard like great and the lays the metal hot metal molten hand sword lady yeah and the avatar prince like great visuals great character design great concepts for these characters like really really cool in a film that is utterly uninterested in exploring them as people or making us even just invested in them as characters on the screen because we're meeting them and then nothing happens before the next one of these little vignettes i think that was that's maybe why this whole part doesn't work is that it's just tick, 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 one after the other. We're just meeting these people, jump to the next one, jump to the next one, jump to the next one, yeah. and we're done. They they find the blood axes, these these the rebels, I guess titular rebels of the rebel moon. Um, At the same time, the Imperium is looking for the blood axes. Like there's a few little yeah. vignettes that, that again tacitly send our, our sort of two main main antagonistic forces onto a collision course um and and they are going to the same place at the same time uh the planet of sharon ruled by king levitica who as i mentioned is a cool cephalopod looking guy very nice i liked him very nice we learned that cora speaks sharanian whatever their language is because she like talks to him in in their language which is like cool so you see like okay like she was she was kind of an important space marine type you know she was trained there's there's all these little details that come in where you're like yeah that makes sense but somehow again it's it's so hard to say what's missing but it's like it's asking you to connect the dots in places where they don't necessarily naturally connect very well and maybe that's the struggle with it um yeah, all of this all of this is to say after we meet the blood axes, I think like half of their crew decide to to go with the rebels, decide to go mm-hmm. with Korra and her forces. In theory, I think when the next thing in the story happens, 
they are coming back to Velt to defend from the Imperium, correct? Because they kind of get, they kind of meet up at this sort of like, it looks like a space gas station. I mean, I need to probably, <laughs> this is this is definitely one of those episodes where like, you know, we always have sort of like some research open. We've got some notes and stuff like that. This is one of the few episodes where I absolutely have like the the wiki, and I don't mean the Wikipedia, I mean like the rebelmoon.fandom.com. Because oh, that has, a wiki. yeah, that's, of course there is. Come on, like Zack Snyder wrote it himself. I hope so. I would. I would love I would to really see. Like that. <laughs> I would absolutely love to see the production bible for this movie and this universe because it is probably so good. It's probably so. It probably lays out the story more like hundred percent. To your point about what you said about how like the way that you tell the story is just the Mandalorian. I wonder if we're gonna get like a like a, a Jodorowsky's Dune in 30 years sure. where it's like Zack Snyder's been passing Rebel Moon. He actually made it and you didn't like it, but everyone's been stealing from the original book for Rebel Moon for years. The lore binder for this probably rips. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I un- don't unreal. doubt that. Like, I, I love a good lore. I love a good, uh, there's like a YouTuber that just does like big lore unpackings on the internet. And it's like, you, you can like fall asleep to it. Like there's just something great about a good lore. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I think there's probably some dope lore in this world. It's just not a very good movie. Yeah. Anywho, uh, so they've kind of put together the gang, I think, generally at this point in the whole operation. Yeah. Devra um, and Darian Bloodaxe, they kind of split off a little bit. Darian comes with our rebels. He takes a, a handful of uh, handful of rebels with us, and they go off to a trading post to, like, I don't know, refuel or whatever. Moments after they leave, Noble arrives, uh, and his ship, it should be called, is called the King's Gaze, which is a cool-ass name for a ship. That's another, yeah, that's like, cool. it's pretty cool. They arrive, yeah. you know, um, he he has a talk with King Levitica, uh, who's been protecting protecting the blood axes? And oh, look, we all know where this was. is going. He's got the stick. Yeah, he's gonna kill. Yeah, kill. He boops him with the stick. With to remind you that he's a stick booping man. Yeah, and uh, and that's like a that is smoosh. one of the. It's a very cool shot in the movie because like it's one of the very few, and it's so implausible. But I appreciate the swing. That whole shot in that sequence as Noble is 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 Sweet. doing the stick thing to King Levitica is actually quite well imagined. Credit where credit is due because it's one of the few places where we see the Imperium's power. Um, it's this kind of like medium wide shot. King Levitica is on his knees. You know, we've got Noble, he's got his stick, and he takes this big swing, it's in one shot, and we see, you know, kind of like the killing blow to the head of King Levitica. As that's happening, we're seeing the Imperium already raining down, um, I don't know, space missiles, like whatever whatever they've got in, sure. in that ship. They're, they're raising the planet from space, you know, they're... And Noble's done this so many times. He's having a conversation with his second-in-command as they step onto the ship that that lifts off from the planet just as a shockwave from the faraway bombing mm-hmm. kind of, like, reaches us. And we're we're given a scope of, like... Hmm. We're finally given a scope of, like, oh, this is, a, you know, like, a, again, a ship that theoretically could destroy, like, a star or a planet if some sort of a star-destroyer-type ship existed. But you're seeing, like, the, the routineness and the coolness with which they do this, right? Like, this is... This is kind of a good scene but it's an hour and 40 minutes into a two hour and 20 minute movie like this was like what it i I don't know would have been better if we opened on this i don't know but like it's it's actually a pretty after a slog that we were just describing of scenes pretty good don't really show you a lot and don't give you any reason to feel much whether it's you know hope or whatever this one you're like oh okay they're pretty good at this actually they're they're you know this is like a 
he had this all planned out. He's he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I think part of the reason that scene works is because there's an actual theme or like an idea that it's trying to unpack. And it's it's an idea that maybe this film, maybe I haven't given it quite enough credit. There, there's a cool idea here. And it's not an idea that hasn't been explored in other science fiction about like rebels versus an empire. But it's the idea of like the collateral damage. What does it mean to be a rebel and the knowing that anyone who helps you is probably going to be massive collateral damage to your cause. Yes. Part of the reason, you know, uh, Atticus Noble, space Nazi, gets into conflict with Velt at the beginning had to do with the fact that Velt was, theoretic, was I think, sending grain off to the Blood Axes. They, like, did some bartering and sold some grain to the Blood Axes. I don't think he knows that, though. We know that. He doesn't that. know. No, you're right. He, he doesn't that. actually know that. That's true. And it was just it's that presented as a point accidentally of, reveals it. Yeah, it's presented as a point of trying like, to potential. Pres- preserve it. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 you're right. You, you are right in correcting me. He doesn't actually know that. A more interesting movie would have done that choice because it could have had kind of an inglorious bastards opening act type thing where there's this like really this sort of like representative of this big terrifying power who knows something that and we know the audience knows that but a character doesn't and as such suspense emerges from that liminal space in terms of knowledge we could have had that moment where we realize oh my god noble knows that they were selling grain to the blood axes and he's come down and he's playing nice even though he knows something terrifying that is not what is going on well Um, and then and then he says oh you're gonna give me your grain and also you're gonna go get them for me like this maybe that there's an interesting Right, that could There's, have been cool. That I I just put something. my hands over my head as you, you did. Were you really that, did because I think like you actually kind of solved it. Like there, there's a more interesting thing that gives you an idea of their reach, of their scope, yes. of their evenness. No, he's just like he needs grain. Comes down, does he's a hungry. stick thing. Yeah, he's hungry. <laughs> he's gonna hit you with a stick. He's actually if you don't. He's give actually him food. just hangry. That's so stupid. Yeah. He's, Dude is hang he's a hangry space Nazi. That's so dumb. And he's not even asking the right questions like where? Like, yeah, it's there's there's this tension of like yeah. we have been told by by some of the characters, the gunner again, and he could feel some guilt for this as well, but he like it's yeah. it's another thing that you're like told. You're like, here's a fact that is not gonna help us later whatsoever. There's like this movie is deeply lacking in Chekhov's guns. It has Chekhov's nothing. <laughs> completely like it could have used more of them, which is not like something Where's you say Chekhov's very often. Movie? Right? Yeah, um, but but yeah, there could have been something. It's it's we're told that Gunner has been selling his, the excess grain off to the Blood Axes, and it's presented correct. this point this point of like you know let's just play this cool. We wouldn't want them to find this out if they had come down and actually like that's something that that kicks off an interesting tension too between Cora and and Gunner on this journey that they've been sent. Like it's very there's a lot of missed opportunities. I think is maybe the big fucking heaps. the big uh, criticism of this movie because we keep talking ab- around how like how how lovingly made it is and how well crafted. And we're trying to find all these nice things to say about it, but like yep. it it misses. It doesn't even take a lot of swings. It should take on its own on its own pitches, basically. Yeah, there's a. It's so frustrating because we know that the film knows that's an interesting idea because of this scene that we're both kind of like, oh, that was a pretty good scene. Mm-hmm. This like this this king of the society that's existed for thousands and thousands of years that has this policy of sort of like a sort of like an altruist. It's a society built on an idea of like altruism and inviting people in and and as such, when these blood axe rebels come, it does the same. And the tension between that and a fascist worldview, like, ah, you got something there. And it's interesting. And you could have teed it up at the beginning of the movie with this farming planet helping these rebels in a, a more informal way. You could, you, you had something there. Yeah. 
unfortunately just left it on the ground yeah unfortunately it then goes from one set piece and one kind of action scene which we say does start to give us some interest in the story and the mechanics yep. of this universe some of these ideas uh, which is, you know, hey, we're shown how and why the Imperium would completely destroy a planet, and we're, we're shown the scope of their capabilities, and and that their evil knows no no boundaries. Essentially, that's completely undercut in the final set piece where the dreadnought struggles to take down what is essentially a gas station. <laughs> like they have a lot of trouble to taking down like a yeah like a trading post in this final fight after just completely taking out a planet. It's, yeah, it's, we have a little bit of story between here and there, which includes a betrayal by like hot Kai, Charlie Hunnam's character. Um, yeah. This next sequence where, where we do sort of have this betrayal, uh, it has one of my favorite things in the movie and also one of my mm-hmm. least favorite things in the movie. My least favorite is that as we go through why he's decided to, to sort of give these people up at the second, we do like another round of character introductions. Like we go through everybody's character again and, and why <laughs> the Imperium would want them as if we haven't just yeah, been told this true. three times already, which is like, yep. it's almost so bad that it's kind of entertain. Like, I don't even know how to feel about it other than like, I was confused as to why we were doing this. I wasn't even like offended. Sure. It wasn't poorly mounted. It's like, but we, you don't have to explain this to us. We we've seen we we know we just we saw all this. We went through all this. You you hit the nail on the head earlier with the whole like this weird compulsion of like show don't tell. eh? why not both? It's like <laughs> you haven't cracked anything. You, that's not good. No, no 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 no. Go back to the original instructions. Because what it's trying to set up at the end is that Atticus Noble is like, oh my god, I have come across a bounty of people that my bosses would want me to get. Yeah. It's incredible. He says that when they finally get them. He basically but says my like, performance no. review is going to be incredible. He's <laughs> totally. My my middle manager is going to yeah. love this. I am I am I am he, about to fall backwards into exceeds expectations. Watch, just fucking totally, watch. Totally. <laughs> Employee of the month right here. This is going to be yeah. incredible. Um yeah, I'm going to file this Jira ticket for getting all of the the best rebels. He, uh, but it, oh but my no, God, you're right. They, they do it twice in the scene. First do, Charlie Hunnam does it and then he does it. Oh my fuck. This I is what I'm saying that. is that the reason they did that is to set up like, well, just so you know, Atticus Noble's going to be really excited to get all these, these guys. And it's like, I could have assumed that. And then we do that once and you're like, okay, fine. And then he does it again. Like, it's just mind numbing. Yeah. And we're spending this time at the expense of, we could have been doing anything to make us give a shit about this group of people. Because again, I can't stress enough. We went tick, 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 meeting this group of characters. And then immediately they get got by the bad guys. And no point has it made me give a shit about them. It has the gall to place them in a row and have them look at each other and kind of pat each other on the back a little bit. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> you haven't made me care about these people enough yet. Anyway, Kai, the Han Solo, Irish, Australian man, betrays them and the Atticus Noble comes and gets them and puts them in, which I think you were going to say the part of the scene that works, which is the weird robot scorpion. Yes, pa- pa- Hannibal Lecter board table things. Hundred percent. Cool. They're so hard. They're like they're, they're they're these prisoner transports that have like a scorp a large scorpion tail that like holds you holds yeah. or holds the prisoner up, kind of the by prisoner. their head and their yeah. arms, and like you know, um, yep. it's it's an execution scorpion as well because there's a hole in it to do a bolt in the back of the head we see this earlier in the movie as which is weird because why wouldn't the scorpion just have a button 
so yeah, there, there's a scorpion that has a hole in the back and then like a whole display being like, if you puncture their spine through this hole, their spine will be punctured. Like yeah. user interface. <laughs> yeah, it you shows you where the bolt is going to go. And it's like, it shows pretty you where obvious. it's going to go. I assume. Yeah. But then what's also even more confusing is after you fire the bolt or as we've seen after you disengage the bolt without firing it, it just lets them go. Like it just dramatically drops a dead body or in this yeah. case, like a living one. It's very... It's a the film really, spends like five minutes. I loved it because it's a very interesting and well designed piece of like it's technology cool. within the yeah. it's cool. Good robot. It makes no sense. We see it earlier in the movie when um when Cora and Gunner arrive in Providence where they they, they you know, the bounty hunters catch a snitch, we get a little bit of the world building there. But it's just like, yeah, it's just basically like upright Hannibal Lecter thing that restrains you and walks with you in in a kind of scorpion fashion. They unload their own, you know, when, when the betrayal is revealed, they're unloading these these big boxes. The boxes snap to and basically, you know, capture everyone. Grab them. It's a cool scene. Again, it's, it's a piece it, of tech that, that like, it's a piece of tech that I'm interested in because, like, it is clearly designed with cruelty in mind rather than any, like, yes. practicality is secondary. And it gives you a little bit of, like, insight into how, how the Imperior deals with, um prisoners the the implications of being captured right like you're you're captured in like a death sled basically you know you're gonna die um and yeah it's for whatever reason gunner doesn't get put in one of these no one takes this guy seriously every every single person is like you're not even worth capturing and killing like we're gonna make you kill theoretically people that are supposed to be your friends but other than this one you have no emotional emotional um connection to and he I mean, it's a cool idea. He kicks off the final fight. Everything so far has been his fucking fault anyway. So he kicks off the final fight. He's got a kind of a fuck it moment where instead of, uh, you know, spine bolting Korra, he releases the gun, which then confusingly again releases the 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 death scorpion. And he just he gives Charlie Hunnam like a nice little nice little bolt through the head, which confusingly, given how many other headshots we see in this movie, it cuts away from. Yeah. I noticed that this is, very conspicuously yeah. that it cut away from that shot. Yeah, there's a lot of moments in the film where you realize that the like compromise between the PG-13 rating that they secured and the R rating that it obviously wanted to be was just sort of cutting away a half a second before the interesting thing was going to happen, which is yeah. devastating for it's like a bad implication that like when this movie is inevitably longer and a director's cut comes out, it won't be better. Yep. It will just be more violent. Like it, it will just. That's all that will happen is those shots will extend a little bit longer, and they will um, they just, will do so in slow motion. Oh, absolutely! Yep. This whole film was shot like two hundred forty frames per second. Uh, very briefly, I just want to because this has come up a couple times. Is that lightsaber lady, scorpion box robots, Stefan Deschamps, the art director of this film. Okay. Yeah, incredible. I'm going to do a little round of applause. Like, I think everything that works about this movie, I don't know if how much, I'm sure he was head of a department, but Stefan Deschamps, congratulations. You did some really fantastic sci-fi work in this movie. True. I don't know what kind of a prompt you got. I don't know where the napkin sketch to final product process kind of unfolded between you and Zack Snyder and the writers of this film, but you did fantastic work. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, those scorpions are cool. I don't really get why they didn't just like snap the person's back whenever you want to kill them and you had to do the bolt thing. It seemed like it was setting up like 
you know, the movie in a, the moment in a James Bond movie where James Bond's strapped to the table, but then someone does something and we get the like, ooh, a little bit of suspense of realizing maybe they're going to get out. It was clearly trying to engineer that with the bolts and the neck and the moment they all get away and yeah. uh, the hubris, kill the bad The guys. hubris of a powerful fascistic, uh, or hubris, I guess, of a powerful fascistic empire yes. being borne out in, in the inefficient but cruel design of its torture mechanisms. Incredibly well put, yes. Yeah. The cruelty is the point. Um, yeah. And we find out the, I guess, twist of the movie, which I feel like we kind of understood already from like the fact that we were getting all these flashbacks to her as a fashy, fash lady. She tells us. She, she tells us She the tells whole story. us. We see her with the haircut. And they present it as a twist is that she is Arthalace. Arthalace? Arthalace. This deserter and fugitive who was famous apparently and had something to do with the the, the king's kid well she was okay so she's like part of the Take king's guard that's something to okay. do she she understood that like the king's daughter who we are meant to understand the ki- the slain king and the king's daughter had a very big part of the larger <laughs> universe and the king's daughter had powers and it was just gonna be a big deal it was a very important thing she has the force right yeah, the little the girl force, has the force right um and which is funny because nobody else does. It's not like first time we're hearing about it. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's. There's all this other fantastical stuff going on. And then it's also like, and also the king's daughter had magical powers. And you're like, does anybody else? And they're like, unclear. We're not sure. She has them. We know that for sure. Where's she? We don't know. I think she's dead. Sure. Anyway, it's Fine. also revealed that she. Oh my fucking god! There's so much going on. There's. It's also revealed that. So. Um, yeah, Noble's boss is a an emperor or a general, an admiral named Belisarius. He's he's a big, he's kind of like your big Napoleon type, you know, leader yeah. of the Imperium military. Not quite the king. I think it's just like one or two steps below the king. But now there's a slain king who's really in charge, that type of thing. Cora was Belisarius's last protege before Noble. She was, he refers to her later in uh, a maddening yes. scene at the end of this movie. Like a tr- truly, I I hated this scene more than everything else, even though it did look very cool. He refers to her the as... spirit realm? Like where he goes and... Unclear. I know. I, I, I don't even think so. I don't think it was even that. It's just, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it soon enough. There's not yeah, that we'll much left. Anyway, Balisarius <laughs> refers to her as his daughter. But they also have like a weird kind of like in a flashback, like a Thanos and... Uh, fucking Gamora scene where he like discovers her on the world <laughs> that they're invading and he's sa- and not only does he save her he like she's got a gun and he's like he's he holds her gun up to her and he's like fucking do it take me out let's go like right now like yeah. he begs her to kill he begs like a child to kill him it's a there's a lot it's, going on I, holding someone's gun up to your head you're right this was bad that has got to be one of and do it do it that's got to be one of my least favorite tropes we watched Lethal Weapon for the first time in a long time, and the like. I'm like, oh, so the the that that was the last time this was original. Yeah, and it's not even clear to me that that's true. It might have been a trope in 1980, whatever. My God, I don't like that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. We find out that she's a different person from the Imperium, or a more important person from the Imperium. Yeah, she's a big deal. Um, she's a big she's a big deal. Noble's excited. But then they get away and she kills Noble with his own stick. It's also implied that Kai knew this the whole time, like knew the entire time who she really, really was, not just who she really was. Like there's a lot. It's this is poorly explained, but it is all just 
it's not even an info dump. It's just sort of like we're laying out the reasons that there's going to be a fight now. Like we're, we're laying yes. out logically the reasons that there has to be a fight. And that in and of itself, if that's what you really have to do, can also be done interestingly. But it's like there's not this idea of the only inevitability that you feel that this has to happen is that like you're aware of how long this movie has been going on and that there needs to that there's in the running time in like the the gray area of the Netflix bar that remains there. There's no way that there can't be a fight. There's like way too much left here for us to 100%. not enough to really do anything else, but like enough to have a fight. There's and, a fight. And I would say that from a basic storytelling perspective, if you're going into the climax of the third act of your film, which is to say the climax of your film, and you have to explain to the audience why the fight is about to happen before it happens, you have gone terribly off the rails. Yeah. We should know the, why the fight's about to happen from the end of the first, the whole goddamn movie. We should know that why the, we knew, we know why there's going to be a fight at the end of the movie. It's because the space Imperium Nazis came and took over the farm planet. The, you have to re-explain that at the end with all of this new silly lore twist nonsense. It's just, it's just bad. I think, it's yeah, I think good. there's there's an attempt in these last little bits to ratchet up the stakes, ratchet up the yes, tension. You are correct. But what make it, it personal? Well, yeah, make it make it matter. What it feels like in practice is not not turning things up. It's just being like, forget those initial stakes. Here's something more important. And like, but that not, happened off camera. That happened. That happened off camera. Yeah, and that like now, like fuck the grain. The grain does. The grain is so inconsequential. Like <laughs> now, this guy's not. Important. This guy's. Yeah, this guy's grain. army was going hungry, and now he's like, fuck the grain. I'm getting a promotion. Like this is awesome. I'm gonna get that corner office. I'm gonna get that corner Whoa. star destroyer. It's gonna be awesome. It's yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they have a fight. Um, there's dive. some cool visuals in the fight. Uh, Ray Fisher, who I think is. The only person kind of on the right tone mm-hmm. of this movie. He's got kind of like yep. a, a Conan Shit. type of vibe going on, which yep. again, he plays into the, the part of it that you're talking about, which is like, if yep. it was a little more heavy metal, if it was a little more space fantasy, if it was a little, yep. like it being a little bit sillier and a little bit more self-invested in 100%. those portions would have sold some of this. And he's the only guy doing that. He gets it. Yeah, he's, he's, totally he's doing a massive, crazy Shakespeare voice. Like, yes. everything is up here. And you're like, yeah, dude. Like, that's the movie you're in. And the mistake you is his name is it. Darian. But, like, whatever. It's fine. Uh, yeah, he has he sacrifices minor. himself and, and yeah. sets off the fire to the final set piece where basically everything that's building we're building towards is this uh, trading post slash floating gas station. It's not actually in space. It's in the atmosphere of a planet. Um, it gets broken apart until we are left with one little floating platform like a buoy in, in the middle yeah. of the ocean. It looks remarkably like one of those, except it's floating in space. We're left with one final platform where Cora and Noble have uh, just a fight. Just just a, a knockdown, drag-out fight. It's a cool fight. He's got his yeah, stick. Fine. He tries to hit her with yeah. it. She's better than him. She breaks his arm a couple of times. Very, like, went yeah. heavy on the arm breaking. And, you know, um, breaks his stick on him, stabs him with the stick. She really fucks him up. She like, does a great yeah. job of kicking his ass. And, yeah. and he falls very falls dramatically so far. So far. Off, off of, like, we do not see the ground below. We don't see it whatsoever. Yes. No. <sighs> what happens next? Okay. Our team is reunited. Everyone's survived. There's a huge, other than Nemesis, I think there's a big lack of the other team members in the final fight. I don't remember a lot of Titus... There were a lot of Tarek. 
doing a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I remember Darius because I remember him dying and I remember Nemesis. Nemesis and Darian have like the biggest parts in the final fight. Corey does too, but like Darian. the other characters, it's implied that they're there and you see them a little bit, but you don't really see sure. like they maybe because Nemesis is the only one who has like battle moves that are set up. Like there's no Griffin sure. for Tarek to ride into battle. This is true. Which they're it, just they're just kicking good. Yes, they're doing good yeah. stuff. They're helping. They're def everyone's helping. Everyone is absolutely participating, but you don't get like a feature. No. Anyways, so they it, go back to yeah. they go back to Velt because after all this, they're still in theory going to have to defend their grain or whatever. They go back to Velt. It's a very like very triumphant return. One really good line that again is inconsequential and makes no sense with what came before or after it was Tarek says this would have been a great place to die as they like come upon the field where. Uh, it's kind of like kind of close to the village, but not really close enough that somebody can say, look, it's there. There it is. Yeah, totally. Not, not we're here. That's confirming he'll die in the second film, which 100%. is hundred percent. I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they go back to the planet and they all look affectionately upon it, even though it yeah. really in the context of the plot means nothing to most of these people. Music but, swells. Okay, cool. Yeah. Music, music swells. swells. There's still way too much of the gray bar left you look down and you're like it's over right you get nervous you're like i'm a little scared why is there like another 15 minutes left yeah. in this movie? and not even like overlong credits gray bar like there's still more no, like there's stuff and what's the stuff dennis <sighs> so we get more we get more ships coming down from the king's gaze and they got some spotlights on them. they got some searchlights uh, they're going down presumably to the surface of the planet above which the gas station battle happened. What do the searchlights discover but the body of Noble? Oh my gosh. He's, he's, he's fallen like from from the stratosphere, essentially. He's fallen from at the very least the height of a great building. We are shown earlier in like his quarters or whatever the fuck on the ship where he has that weird octopus. We're shown like he's doing some like healing tubes where he's got like weird. He's yep. got kind of like like oh, yeah. cupping marks on his body, but they're very deep, and they don't yep. like he can plug tubes into and out of them, yeah. and it's implied that there's like a healing thing. He's got they, they got some wacky tech there. They got not some stuff. to make food, but they can heal you. Yeah. Um, you, oh, you're right. How the fuck can they not make food, but they have like back to tanks, and it does. Ugh. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, this is this is going to be such a great episode of the podcast where we say it doesn't matter. Like the, it doesn't matter. None times. of this matters. Anyway, an hour and twenty minutes into it. Anyway, so yeah, the ship's they, they find the they find body. Him. He's alive somehow. This I I was like I was angry at this. Like this made me deeply angry. Like I was mad. This is the first time during this movie that I was mad. You got they, mad. They find him. They bring him back to the ship. Um, a bunch of people in like essentially uh, evil versions of the scientist costumes from the fifth element hook him up to some more of these tubes <laughs> and they put him in a machine. The Whether it's a healing machine or a communication machine Boing. is unclear. But yeah, yeah, basically the coda of this movie is that he is somehow still alive. He's transferred into like a, a freaky Zoom call. Or maybe he's With. actually teleported. It's unclear. Again, it's not, it's really unclear. It's very they unclear. do some magic thing to him with like a weird astral plane. Yeah. And this Belisarius guy who we've just kind of learned about. Yeah. You can tell uh, that he's but, older because it's the same actor as in the flashback, but now he has a beard. So you can tell that time has passed. That's how you can tell the time has passed. It would have been sick if they gave him glasses. It would have been fucking <laughs> <unreal. laughs> That would have been so fucking Seriously. cool. 
Just glasses. That would have made me buy back in, to be completely honest. Yes. Like, oh, time no, has passed. That, like, time has passed because he has glasses now. <laughs> yeah. And Belisarius gets mad at Noble and says, I'm so mad at you, you get to live again, and you have to go beat Korra for another movie. Go do it again. This entire time, they're on like this Glue kind of like... Glue stick back together. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like on this ice sheet deck and Belisarius has like a cool staff that he uses to punctuate how upset he is with with how this has all worked yep. out Cla- that was fun yeah classic classic emperor you know cl- classic boss Bang bad guy type of thing right interaction yep. you know no this isn't good enough i'm now threatening your life even though you are already dead but that's fine yep. okay He's and it ends back. with you know, like one and there's like lightning that comes out of the bottom of his staff and finally on like the last the last like the yeah the the last bang of the staff um we see noble fall through the ice they're standing on and then out of like the weird goo orb that he's been in it's it's cool I've it said looks it, cool it doesn't i've it said it before means nothing and i will say it again as i frantically look up the name of the art director of this film yeah. stefan you crushed it unreal that was another one of those movies where it was like moments where it's like oh they played with like water and gravity and the top of the frame and the bottom of the frame and they had people plunging up down through ice and up through the it was cool that was a good little moment uh but now noble is back such a such a nothing burger character oscar isaac walks into frame and says somehow noble has returned like it's it's that's gonna be the start of fucking the scar giver rebel moon too we're not on camera but i collapsed into the microphone at that i yeah so noble's coming back thus preventing the ability for this film to come up with a better villain in the sequel yeah it's not even like balisarius being like fine i'll do it myself and then he puts on like a glove that gives him like special powers or like it's not even that that i would have like the judges would have accepted that as well fine (laughs) totally yeah introduce him and tie him into her backstory and be like except i'm not sending you back i'm going back and then he comes through the ice like like whatever do a hot swap and give us a more interesting villain yeah anyway noble's coming back they're all on the planet and noble's gonna try and kill cora a second time in the scar giver this was a it's a bad it's a bad movie yeah, and I think, you know, we've we've hit on some of the things that are successful about it, which is, you know, obviously the art direction, art top notch. Good. Even parts of it that didn't connect with me, I really I really liked. Oh, and okay, yep. so at the end, we've also got and, uh, Jimmy, the robot voiced by oh, Anthony Hopkins, is the last shot of this film. When we last see Jimmy, he's wearing a flower crown, who uh, yep. he, it was given to him by a character in the village who is then like at the center yep. of the attempted assault that we described at the beginning. The first one, not the second one, the first one. Yep. There's a lot. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few. Um, and then the last shot of this movie is Jimmy in the, in the field by the village, but now he has antlers. Yeah. And I'm sure we, that like, ju- uh, there's some yeah. symbolism back there that like that a lot of thought went into, but it's not. We, we haven't seen him we in an hour and a half. We haven't seen him in an hour and a half. He ran off at the end of the opening sequence where he helps them by shooting members of the Imperium. Again, maybe this makes me more hopeful for the Scar Giver to Rebel Moon Boogaloo uh, that it, we're going to unpack what happened. The implication is that after he ran off from that opening scene, he went off into the woods, had some weird like brain unpacking thing where he tried to figure out what he was and the 
crown of, you know, whatever it is, flowers has become a crown of antlers. Yeah, the implication, get, I'm sure, probably, is he's ready, for, he's ready to fight. He's ready for war. Whatever. Yes. Just, he, he's yeah. back on this planet. He's become one with the planet. He's learned to kill again. Felt. It's great. He's, ever he's since, learned to ever kill since, again. Ever since the king was slain, he just couldn't get up to killing. And, like, great news. Now he's now he's into it again. It's awesome. He refound his passion <laughs> for his work. Yeah, to uh, destroy all to, humans. Yeah. But he wants to to do it to, to help these random farmers he found himself aligned with it's fine it's one of the more for as much as putting antlers on stuff is of a very specific moment and aesthetic it is one of the more arresting visual images is of like a robot that has sort of like started to return to the idea of taking c3po and being like what if you like kind of return to nature in a certain way and had this like i don't know in the woods bonnie ver recording a record in a cabin kind of vibe yeah I'm like, that's cool. That's a good visual. There's a reason you put that on the poster. There's a reason you spoiled the end of the movie with the poster of this character. Um, and there's, yeah. and there's again, something just like you were talking about in that scene with, with Noble and King Levitico where he does the stick thing. There's like some interesting idea there where like if it was followed fully, like let's say, and I don't know if this is what Zack Snyder thinks, but let's say if like Zack Snyder's thesis was like, okay, well, a robot is like an affront to man and can only be in opposition with, with, organic beings and humankind if that's something like the robot's true nature is to is to exercise its power and to kill like i don't think that's there but if there was something like that there to explore great if there was something to explore about like the collateral damage of of resistance great but it's all like it's kind of like that's kind of cool that's over there maybe yeah. maybe we'll go over there and you're like we're not going over there and he's like yeah you're right we're not we're going over there. there but it's still there it's there i i thought about it and i didn't I don't want to think about it much more more than this, but I did think about it. But I, I did think know. about it. I want I want to prove it. Yeah. I want to I want to get it in the essay so you grade me accordingly. Yeah. What if this is just like the greatest failure of pacing ever? Like, what if this whole movie? Are you saying what if the when, Snyder cut of Rebel Moon is better? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I think uh, that's what I heard. Not of Rebel Moon, but yeah, <laughs> I'm tweeting it. No, no, no. Uh, not of a child of fire, but if like when taken with Scargiver, what if we got all of the boring bullshit out of the way? If he resists the urge to try and introduce five more half-baked characters and we just get to start that movie with these people and then it... Like, is there a world in which the second one works? Maybe. Now that we've I'd, I'd like all, it to. I guess it, it, I'd I, like I, it I would, to. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like after an hour and 29 minutes of just reflecting on how not good it was there's a part of me that wants to be hopeful that maybe the back half maybe in the back half they find it maybe we're just exploring the interesting ideas and the idea of like what does it mean to rebel against fascism knowing that that act of rebellion will inevitably invite harm upon those people that you are theoretically trying to protect by resisting the fascism what does it mean for a character like Jimmy, a robot, given like a prime directive to serve this bloodline to suddenly be confronted by an inability to do that um, because of circumstance. Like maybe all of those good ideas can be explored in a movie and maybe it would be that one. I would love for the second one to be better because as we were saying, amazing art direction. Some of the action sequences are are quite cool. fun to watch. They're well yeah. directed and there are the kernels of good ideas in there. Part of the reason I'm not hopeful for it is, again, as we're saying, like, 
Zack Snyder's doing everything on this, including including yeah. the cinematography, running the camera, all that. Yeah. It feels like maybe there's a little too much. This is part of why I was saying, okay, well, maybe if he had these ideas and he wanted to explore them through heavy metal or through something else, that would have been something there because there's just less yeah. less to do, less not even pressure, but like there's there's less ways to spread himself yeah, thin yeah. and focus on part of the creative vision. The other part of the reason that I don't think that's going to happen is because for every single idea that we sort of praise in this movie of being like, there's a kernel of this there. There's another scene yeah. that like completely undercuts it, right? Like that scene we were talking about with King Levitica where um, I say this like it's a character. Like everybody knows King Levitica. Every, like, every, we've all been talking about King Levitica. <laughs> you really grasped yeah. onto that name. It's, you're, get ready to see King Levitica at Halloween this year. It's going to be like... <laughs> It's, the action figures are going to be flying yeah. off the shelf. And the movie treats him like that. The movie's like, holy shit, yeah. here he comes. We'll but, finally but, get to meet King Levitica. Yeah, for that scene to imply that, okay, like, the nature of resistance, or, or maybe this one reading of it is the nature of resistance is that there will be collateral damage. There will be harm, and our heroes have to, like, mm-hmm. think about this. A, they don't see that shit. <laughs> B, B, like, it's not really brought up again. And C, we're also shown in the beginning of the movie that acquiescence also brings punishment. Like, there's no there's no clear... Sure. And maybe, again, if those were intention a little bit, but there's just, like, there's... Hmm. The movie that we were going to talk about uh, before this, and I think the one that we will talk about next, we'll talk about next. Yeah. Uh, is a movie called Leave the World Behind. And in theory, mm-hmm. there's nothing really connecting these two movies in terms of themes, in terms of performances, in terms of the way that they look. They're completely different. But I think, not to spoil that episode, we felt similarly in some ways about that movie where it's like, here's an idea. And you're like, great, yep. let's talk about this. And it's like, no, absolutely not. It's just here's an idea and we're on to the next thing. And just that's back there. You can think about it still, but we as a group are not, we're not going to dig into this any further. Um, And because this has the added challenge of selling a whole universe um, and and not just selling from a perspective of like a market, but selling to you, the viewer, emotionally, a whole universe, these people, all of these wants and needs and ideas that there should be some meaningful either conflict or harmony between. It just doesn't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't, no sink like it's it's firing off three free throws and sinking none of them yeah it is fascinating i wonder if the fact zack snyder clearly has envisioned this not just as sort of a cinematic ip i think he was originally pitching it as both a video game and a movie he views this as a world i think he thinks of this maybe in a analogous way to avatar which you brought up earlier of like mm-hmm. no this is this is the first foray into a whole universe and we're going to start with the, the story that you start with which is the luke skywalker the important person in the important battle but i am at he imagines this as this whole much bigger thing and i think it's so often the case when you when your first step is taken with the mind of like but there will be a 500 steps to follow it's like well what are the odds that you really put the love into the first one yeah I, I i bet that you feel like you did but really if you thought this was the last thing if you thought that this ending was the ending would this have been better and i think that Zack snyder is a talented enough filmmaker that my gut is that it might have been mm-hmm. but the knowledge that this with the weight of what he can do and the vast sums of cash that he can sort of into existence I just think didn't give the first step the time that it needed, and as such, we ended up with this. Well, this. and and Avatar is such a good example because it took on a similar challenge, 
had, I think, similar criticisms in terms of what we said at the top of the episode, which is like, you watched this movie, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and yep. I watched it about three days ago, and I okay. really oh, struggled. I like, I, I had it open on as we were going going through scenes, and I did go back to it and revisit things just so we could talk about them. But yeah. it's it like if people thought that Avatar faded from the cultural memory oh boy like this is that's gonna make avatar that's gonna make avatar look like the mona lisa in terms of the cultural cachet <laughs> and part of what i think james cameron did with avatar is i wouldn't necessarily say that thematically you would describe it as a, a simple movie i think there's been like a lot of revisiting mm -hmm. of it in recent years not just because the new ones are coming out or the, the second one has yeah. come out and was also very successful but because people have realized that it was a very thin story because James Cameron was so honed in on thematically what makes this idea interesting, what maybe makes that story structure a little bit sure. universal and long-lasting. There's like a lot going on thematically in that movie, as in many of his movies, where he's able to stuff that in because like from a story perspective, there are clearer goals and there's less to do. There's so much, there's the story and just the like mechanics of the plot in this movie gets so in the way of any thematic ideas that yes. it might have that nothing has any room to breathe. So maybe you're right. Maybe with all that stuff out of the way, you know, uh, Rebel Moon, Scar colon, Scargiver is going to be unreal, <laughs> I guess. Like, we're oh, going we're to talk yeah. about that one now. We've, we, well, we have to. It's, we're going to talk, gonna talk about, about it. it. Maybe it's going to be better. And to be but... clear, I, I don't think it will be good. I can simply imagine... A, I can imagine... A good version. You'd like of to it. live in a world where it might. Be. I'd like to live in a world where it doesn't <laughs> suck as bad as this because I don't want to watch another movie that I yeah. liked as little as this. Um, and when Netflix, who is trying to move into video games, inevitably drops the Rebel Moon video game, I'll see you in there, Dennis. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll play a couple. We'll rounds. play a couple rounds. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not necessarily the worst movie you'll ever watch. I would just no. say it's just not something that's maybe worth the investment of time. However, again, because of some of the really, really interesting things about how it's made and the care and the love with which it's made, even if that doesn't, that, that math equation doesn't quite add up to where you want to, I think it's a very interesting case study yeah. in, even for someone, as we said, as polarizing, but very clearly talented and clearly capable as mm -hmm. a filmmaker, as Zack Snyder, making something like this is really fucking hard. It's very difficult. It is like... To, to take a theoretically new, even yep. even if you can sort of see see the tape lines between... It is, but it is you can, new. You can, see, new you can see a lot of where the mood board came from. This is a new piece of, I hate to say IP, it's, an, it's a new creative idea. Um, it's a new world. It's a new world. New characters. And building that is really hard. So, I mean, I think... Kudos. I think we should commend him for trying. I it's think, true. I think, no, you, you, you're right. And I think I, I don't like it, but yeah. But it does go back to like, look, if if those themes were well developed, why wouldn't this just have been six or eight parts where we spent a little more time in them? It seems like it seems like it's undercooked, not for lack of love or effort, but for maybe something that was a little too close to to the creator's heart to a certain degree. I would agree. Well, usually we say, an hour yeah, usually we, we say something like, go watch it. I can't, 
mm-hmm. I can't necessarily in good conscience tell anyone to go watch this movie, but I mean, I don't know, take a look at it. it God it help anyone good. that's listening to this this far into it that hasn't seen it. Yeah. Uh, and if you have, go, yeah, go watch something good. We'll catch you in the next one. And also if you're Thanks screaming at your, at your car or whatever, because we're so wrong about this, then I don't know, find God. Like, just, I mean, God, honestly, like, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, if you like, liked it, I'm if, sorry. If, if that sparked joy in your life and you felt really, you got out of that and you're like, that was just, I'm, I'm so excited for Scargiver. Like, that's, I'm, congratulations. Yeah, for the members of the General Titus fan club, like, yeah, we'll see you in Scargiver. <laughs> we'll see what he's got. I mean, because he's definitely, like, this is the other thing, too. Like, it's just so telegraphed. Like, he's definitely there for the second movie because we talk about, like, he's, he's name called, he's name checked, like, three times so as like times. this brilliant so brilliant tactician who can like turn a battlefield on a dime and then like in the multiple battles that he's kind of involved he doesn't do shit he doesn't do he a doesn't fucking do thing jack shit in the entire movie ah <laughs> uh, okay yeah <laughs> see you guys next time bye catch you in the next one <laughs>